Grab your Bible, whatever copy of God's Word you have. It can be digital. It can be analog. <laughs> analog means you turn pages, and digital means you click. All right, and so um, and go go with me to Hebrews chapter six. Hebrews chapter six. Um, and we have been in this series. Come on, help me with the name of the series. This series, we've been in this series called Up in Smoke. You guys are amazing. Yeah, put it in the chat. Up in Smoke. Put it in the chat. Um, and, and, and we have been talking about, uh, on the heels of 2020, we have been talking about what you do, what happens, where do you go when life leaves you up in smoke? It's, a, it's kind of a colloquial phrase. It's a saying that we have speaking of the finality of something that didn't go quite right. You know, like it, we had a great plan for our business, but it went uh, in smoke. And, you know, I thought this was the one, but that relationship went up in smoke. And I just thought this investment was going to pay off, but it actually went up in smoke. And smoke. And what do we do when things go up in smoke? And we've been talking about that together today. We're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews was written before the destruction of the temple in AD 70. That's all we really know is after the resurrection, before the uh, destruction of the temple. Uh, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. We know it wasn't. Some people used to think it was Peter. It wasn't Peter because the grammar is too accurate. And Peter was a fisherman. And um, have you ever gone fishing? I mean, I, in other words, you know, I didn't write Hebrews either. Because if you've ever heard me talk, the grammar, I'm not a grammarian. Let's just say that. And some of you are impressed. I even knew the phrase grammarian, the word grammarian. But I'm not a grammarian. Um, I speak a few dialects, Greg County, uh, Upshur County, <laughs> Harrison County, right? I'm not even sure I qualify for Smith County. I'm not even sure I, I can get there. But anyways, uh, Russ County, I can do that one um, since you was here. Um, but uh, but anyway, so, so some believe it to be Paul or one of his cohorts or associates. So it could have been Barnabas, could have been Apollos. Um, and so the writer is writing from Italy. We know that from chapter 13, writing from Italy. And he is writing to Jews, thus the Hebrews. Uh, so he's writing to a Jew, Jewish audience. We also know that because he, he, he pulls and, and he picks and he uses stories from the Old Testament, from the law, from the story of Abraham. Um, and and he, he doesn't really explain it. And so we know he's writing to people that already understood it. So he's writing to a Jew, Jewish audience. And, and the Jewish audience would have been Jews who believed in Jesus. So even today you have Orthodox Jews. Uh, those, are practice, those who practice Judaism, which is kind of the keeping with the law and the prophets. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And then you have Messianic Jews, Messianic meaning Messiah. In other words, they think the Messiah has come and that would be Jesus. So Orthodox Jews, the Messiah has not come. Uh, Messianic Jews, the Messiah has come and we believe him to be Jesus. So he is writing to an audience of Messianic Jewish believers, people who have left the, the, the Orthodox tradition of Judaism and have put their faith in Jesus and believe that he is the Christ, which means the anointed one, the Messiah. And, and, and having done that, um, now they are falling into and under um, the opposition of persecution. Um, we don't know if, we, if this was written to Jews in Rome or whether it was written to Jews in Jerusalem, who's under Roman authority. Um, but we know it was written to Jews who had left the Orthodox tradition of Judaism and had come to faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But now they've fallen under intense persecution 
Hebrews 6, verse 13. So uh, the writer is writing to stabilize their faith. And that's why new and better are, are themes of this book because he's like, the new covenant is better. The new covenant is better. And so this is the, he, he keeps making the argument that Jesus is Messiah and therefore the, the new covenant is, is better. And so we get to verse 13 of Hebrews 6. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, and certainly I will bless you and I will multiply your sentence beyond number. This is a direct reference to Genesis chapter 22. Then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that, they, that he would never change his mind. So God's given both a promise and an oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us and he has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Uh, Gave my title just two words. It's a little bit of a play on words, kind of. But this is my title. You can write it down. You can put it in the chat. My title is this, Hope Ahead. Hope Ahead. Uh, can we pray together? Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and God, uh, anoint our ears with, with understanding. Anoint our minds, God, to grasp what you say. Anoint our hearts to receive the word of God today. God, we pray it would transform us. It would energize us. It would encourage us. It would strengthen us. And God, that as we receive it, it would change us. And we would not be able at all to leave here the way we came, for we have received the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Speak now, we pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Hope, hope ahead. Hope, hope ahead. Have you ever needed hope? Have you ever felt hopeless? Have you ever felt like things weren't working out the way you had hoped they would? That's exactly where the Hebrews find themselves. These, these Jewish believers, some believe it was a house church that this letter initially was written to, but these Jewish believers um, were, were in Judaism and then they changed to faith in Jesus Christ. And that seemed like a good idea because they, you know, the, the, the apostles were preaching the second coming of Christ. And since as sooner or later you're going to meet him, you might as well get to know him before you meeting it makes it, before you meet him because it makes the meeting go better. Everybody's going to meet Jesus. Everybody's going to have a meeting with Jesus in eternity. It'd be better to meet him before the meeting. It'd be better to know him before that meeting. And so, so they are believing in the second coming of Jesus and they are holding to faith in Jesus. But unfortunately now, because they claim to be followers of the way, followers of Jesus, they are suffering now intense persecution it, it was persecution that started with just public ridicule. And, and they are being persecuted by two groups of people. They are being persecuted by the Romans, 
But they are also being persecuted even more so by the Orthodox Jewish believers because they are traitors who have, who've abandoned the practice of Judaism and are clinging to faith in this man who was crucified. And unfortunately, if you read Hebrews chapter 10, it will reference some of the persecution and you have to go back to history to find some of the other. But essentially there was public ridicule, but then there was public beatings. Then there was imprisonment. Then there was the boycott of their businesses and the being ostracized from community. And then there was the seizure of property. And then there was the burning and destruction of their property. Somebody say, up in smoke. They had fallen prey to the concept that if we follow Jesus, things are going to get better. And if we follow Jesus, he is about to come quickly and he's going to rescue us from all that we're dealing with. And so we're following Jesus. And then they follow Jesus and things got. What happens when you make the right decision and do the right thing and exercise the right faith and things get worse? Just look at somebody and say, up in smoke that's right and that's exactly what happened to them and 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 the writer is writing to them because the instability of their soul has become intense the wavering of their faith is now a, a virtual um, reality that they are dealing with in every moment and the writer is writing because he has got to help them they need stabilization they they need hope they need something to hold on to and so he writes them the book of Hebrews and we get to this passage and you can write these three things down as we talk about them together why three I don't know one for the father one for the son one for the Holy Spirit <laughs> Or maybe it's three because two didn't seem like enough and four seemed like too much. I don't know. <laughs> Write these three things down. The first thing is this. This is a truth you need to understand is that your soul needs stability. Your soul needs stability. This is, he's riding and they're, they're, they're in chaos. They're in turmoil. The, the storm is outside of them and now the storm has gotten inside of them and see, when, it's, when the storm is outside of you, that's bad. But when the storm gets inside of you, now your faith is up for grabs. See, a storm outside of me may be changing my circumstance and situation, but my faith is steadfast. But when the storm outside of me gets inside of me, now my faith is rocking and rolling. And he is writing because that's exactly what's going on to them. The storm that's outside of them has now worked its way inside of them. And now their faith seems to be up for grabs. And the enemy is waging war and he is waging war on their soul. That is why he says in verse 19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Your soul needs an anchor because your soul has a drift problem. Your soul will drift. What is, what, is our, what is our soul? Well, it's our mind and our will and our emotions. Most people understand that. We're a triune being. We have a, a soul, a spirit, and a body. And, and so our soul speaks to more our mind and, and our will and our emotions. And you need to understand that the, that the enemy may attack your body. That may be true. He doesn't typically attack your spirit. Usually where he works his way into your life is through your soul. He works his way into your soul. 
When something happens, the first thing he wants you to do is to feel. This is how he starts. He wants to help you feel a certain way. Now, there's nothing wrong with emotion. We experienced emotion today. People were happy. People were joyous in the presence of the Lord. Right? David said, I, I was glad when they said to me, I got happy about going to church. I got happy. I experienced this emotion of being in the presence of God. There is nothing wrong with emotion. God created emotion and God has emotion. The problem is not having emotion. The problem is, is when your emotion has you. The problem is not having emotion. It, emotion can ride along on your bus just as long as you don't let it drive. How many of you have ever made a bad decision because of a bad emotion? Or we can go the other way too. How many of you have ever made a bad decision because of a good emotion? Oh yeah. It just felt so good. I'm not going to talk about swiping right or anything like that. I'm just saying sometimes... You can let a bad emotion drive, and sometimes you can let a good emotion drive. And either way, those emotions will drive you right off the cliffs, like being in the movie Speed, and emotion has taken over the bus, and you are now at the back, and the bridge is out, but it's okay, it's a movie, so in movies, greyhounds can jump 120 feet, you know what I'm saying? But make no mistake about it, one of the first places the enemy works himself into our lives is by helping us feel. It isn't about what happened, it's about how you feel about what happened that's the problem. That's the danger zone. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Everybody's saying it, yes. I went to, yeah. Uh, Top Gun. Anyways, um... But, but that's the problem. That's the emotion. And, and he wants it. And here they are. They had faith, but now they feel afraid. They had faith, but now they feel abandoned. They had faith, but now they're feeling regretful about their decision. And those emotions have caused them, have cost them their stability. That's how the enemy starts, he starts working into our life. And, and then, because here's the thing, if he can get into your emotions, he can get into your mind. Your emotions and your mind. It's not about what happened. It's about what you thought about it. And because of what you thought about it, this is what you thought about it. And because, because you felt this way, you thought this way. And he will, use, <laughs> he will use your emotions against you to create a way of thinking that is contrary to the word of God. Because if he can get you to feel afraid, he can make you think you're alone. Right. This is why Paul talks, he talks to the Ephesians, he talks to the Corinthians, and he talks about this battle that is raging for your mind. That's why he said you need a shield of faith by which to quit, to extinguish or, or to shield yourself from the fiery thoughts of the enemy that are coming into your mind. 
Because here's what the enemy does. He looks for the window of emotion to fire a fiery dart of a thought through to get into your soul. And when he finds emotion has opened for him a window, he will implant thoughts into your mind to create ways of thinking that cause you to drift away from God's promise. That's why Paul said, take every thought captive. And so many times in 1 Corinthians 10, when we read that, that Paul said, take every thought captive, we think, oh, I'm supposed to look for the good thoughts. No, no, I'm sorry. We think we're supposed to only look for the bad thoughts. But he didn't say just capture the bad thoughts. He said, capture every thought. Because some thoughts are from him. And some thoughts are from you based on his word. And he wants you to capture those so you can pull them in. And the, on the ones that are from the enemy, he wants you to capture them so you can push them out. That's why he said, you better grab every thought. You better analyze. It's, you know, if you want a big term metacognition, that's like a $4 word. That just means you should think about what you think about. And it comes from the word of God because it's what Paul's telling the Corinthians. Look, you need to think about what you're thinking about. And when that thought comes in, you need to say, oh, wait a second. What is that? Eh, I don't think I'm going to let that in. I'm going to send that back out. (laughs) You want to destroy your life, live this way. I think they think. You want to destroy your relationship, live that way. I think they think. Yeah. You want to create problems at work, just say, I think they think this way about me. I have found most of the offenses and most of the the, the depressive states of emotion we feel at the hands of relationships and situations is I think they think. And when we start capturing thoughts, say, wait a second, wait a second. Is this me thinking? Is this them thinking? Is this the enemy thinking? Or is this the Holy Spirit thinking? Does this thought line up with God? And I'm not just looking for the thoughts because here's the thing. When I start looking only for the bad thoughts, I may not know what all thoughts. Sometimes you think things without you knowing you thunk it. Right? And you will get a thought in there that will produce something. And one day you'll look and have a garden of negativity and think, how did this even get into my life? And when you trace it back, you thought something you didn't know you thought. And so here's, here's what, here's what, they're writing, uh, the writer is writing in Hebrews. He's like, listen, you, you, your, your soul needs an anchor. It's got, a, it's got a drift problem. And the problem is that, that your emotions can run away with you. And the problem is that your thought processes can run away with you. But let me tell you what the enemy is really after and what really causes the drift is if the enemy can get you through the wind, if he can get a thought through the window of your emotion to stick into your mind, he can get you to choose something other than God. You don't believe me? Go to Adam and Eve. Has God really said, in other words, what was the emotion? I'm afraid God's not good. I'm afraid God's not good. Now I think God's not giving things to me. God is withholding things from me. So now I will use my will to make a choice that moves me away from God. 
Oh, make no mistake about it. The warfare is in your emotions and your mind, but the prize is your will. And if he can get in through your emotions and in through your mind, he will get your will. I don't think people run away from God. I think they drift away. And usually they drift away through circumstance and the enemy was able to launch a, a, an arrow of thought through the window of emotion that created a way of thinking that caused them to choose something other than God. You don't believe me? Check this out. Remember the, the, the border, but you know, there wasn't a wall, but there at the border of the promised land, um, that was a really bad joke. Numbers 13.33, check this out. This is the first time Israel comes to the border of the promised land and they send the spies in and Joshua and Caleb come back and they're like, there are giants there, but we can win. And the other 10 come back and say, there's no way we can win. They're big, they're ugly, they're mean. And this is what they said, Numbers 13.33, watch this. We even saw, we even saw, you gotta, listen, you can't always control what you see, but you can control what you feel and what you think about it. Right. Like we got to understand what we can control and what we can't control. And I can't always control what's going on. I can't always control what I'm actually looking at or what I actually see. But I can control how I feel and I can control what I think. But look at this. They did neither because it says we even saw giants there, the descendants of Enoch next to them. Look at this. We felt. We felt like grasshoppers. Ah, grasshopper. We felt, I'm not being racist. I have an Asian daughter. Don't mess with me. All right. So <laughs> before you put that in the chat, you should know. <laughs> Next to them, we felt, we felt, y'all stop distracting me. I'm trying to preach. Next to them, <laughs> next to them, we felt like, were they grasshopper? No, they just felt that way. Let me tell you something. And it's for this, this, hey, put this. You're, I don't care if you feel like a loser. The word of God says you're not one. Amen. They felt like grasshoppers. And then check this out. And that's what they thought. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you see anywhere in the word of God where they sat down with the, the descendants of Enoch and said, it's so great to have the Enoch family here with us. We'd like to know how y'all feel about us Israelites. No, this thought was their thought transposed on. They thought they thought. Isn't that crazy? They made an excuse for their negative thought pattern by saying it was what actually somebody else thought. They justified a negative thought pattern by blaming it on somebody else. Listen, you can try to make somebody else responsible for your thoughts, but at the end of the day, you choose. You're responsible for what you think. And as long as you want to blame somebody else for what you think, you can't capture the thoughts in your own head and you can't live the life God's called you to. Somewhere you got to take responsibility for what's between your ears. I'm just trying to help. But here it is. Based on what they saw, they felt. Based on what they felt, they thought. And they chose to not inherit the promise. See what I'm saying? 
And, and this is why the writer is saying, he's like, looking, without an anchor, you're going to drift. Your emotions are going to cause you to drift. Your, your, your mind is going to cause you to drift. And eventually you'll even choose something that's not me. And so you've got to have something, something to anchor yourself to. And that's why he's saying you've got to anchor yourself to the hope that's in the promise. Because your soul needs something stable. Here's the second thing. Your soul needs an anchor. Here's the second thing. The integrity of your anchor determines the stability of your life. The integrity of the anchor. Because it's not just about having an anchor. It's about having the right anchor. Because I have found, I have found sometimes we, we choose, we choose our, our own anchors. And, and, and this passage actually is, is bringing into the forefront the, 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 the picture that we need not only an anchor for our soul, but we need to make sure we've chosen the right anchor for our soul. You know what I found storms are really good at? Storms are really good about revealing or exposing anchors. Right? Because because if you want to know what you're trying to anchor yourself to, let me say it another way. If you want to know what you're trusting in, just look at what you ran to first when the storm showed up. Because sometimes we have a tendency to put our hope in the wrong thing. And so we tie our anchor to the wrong thing. In fact, if you look at it this way, here's the question you want to ask yourself. Is what I'm running to strong enough to stabilize me? Because, listen, we can say Jesus is our rock and we can say Jesus is our anchor. But if we had a bad day and we ran to tender, then Jesus is neither. And we can say Jesus is our rock and Jesus is our anchor. But at the end of the day, if we ran to Visa because we needed to go on shopping, Jesus is our rock and Jesus is our anchor, but the, the bad day happens and we're like two boxes of stuffed Oreo, double stuffed Oreos dipped in peanut butter. I haven't heard, but I've, I, you know, well, I haven't, I haven't tried such a thing, but I've heard if you get double stuffed Oreos and you put peanut butter on them, it's a near religious experience. I've just heard that just heard it. I wouldn't try that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying sometimes, like if you really want to know what you're trying to anchor yourself to, what you could do is check and see what you ran to first when the bad news came, when the storm happened, when I see what you ran to first. See, because sometimes, sometimes we actually misplace our hope, not that we lose it, we place it in the wrong thing. And there's really two ways, actually, we misplace hope. One is we place our hope in the wrong thing. The other is we place our hope in, in our, our desired outcome. So we place our hope in the wrong things or we place our, our hope in the wrong outcomes. Or sometimes we can say it this way. It's not that the outcome's wrong. It's just you placed it in an outcome you can't control. You placed it in the outcome you hoped would come out. David said this, Psalm 33, verse 17, it says, a horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all of its great strength, it cannot save. Here's what he's talking about, war horses. He's like, I don't care how many war horses you have. They don't have the power to save. You can't place your hope in something that doesn't have the power to save you. Yeah. 
Like be careful that you don't put your hope in the wrong thing. Be careful that when you're choosing an anchor, you don't choose the wrong anchor. I remember years ago, my dad had a bass boat and I used to go fishing. I'm not really good at fishing, but I like to go out there and try. And uh, had I been a professional fisherman, we'd all starve to death. And, um, and so, but I remember going out there and we didn't have, this time we didn't have an anchor. And I was actually in a place where I was having a little bit of success up, in, up on this lake in this kind of creek here area. And, but there, it was kind of windy. And so the boat, you know, it was drifting and you're working control the motor and didn't have an anchor. And so I looked and there's a stump kind of right there. And I thought, I'll just tie off to that stump. And then, and then I'll fish. And, you know, I won't have to work throwing molar. So, I, you know, get down there, I tie off to the stump, and I just start fishing. And I don't really care because we're tied off. And I start fishing and started noticing that, that what I was looking at here is now down there. And I look back, and I realize that the stump wasn't actually connected to anything under the water. All I'm doing is dragging a stump across the lake. that what I'd tied off to didn't have the capacity to stabilize me, and now all I did was pick up baggage. <laughs> Don't you hate it when I sneak up on you like that? <laughs> and, I, and, and I thought this relationship would stabilize me, and now all I've got is more baggage in my life. And I thought this thing would stabilize me, or if I bought a new car, I would feel better about my life, or I bought a new house, or if I changed jobs, and now I've just got more baggage that I'm dragging through my life because what I chose to be my anchor really didn't have the power or capacity to stabilize my life. I had put my hope in the wrong thing. Sometimes we put our hope in the wrong things. Sometimes we put our hope in outcomes. And, and, and what happens is, 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 and people of faith do this more than anything, just like these Hebrews, they are putting their hope that the second coming of Christ is sooner rather than later. And when it looks like it's being delayed, they are losing hope. And sometimes we're bad about that in that, that can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? I think Satan sometimes will give you outcomes that appear to be faith-based to hope in so that when that doesn't happen, he then uses that and, and weaponizes it against your hope. And he will whisper hope in this and hope in that. And this is how this is going to work. And this is how that's going to work. And he will actually cause you to fix your hope on, a, on an expected outcome that, that was never God's intent or plan, but it looked good. Maybe you even put a scripture with it. And when it doesn't happen, he turns around and says, you see that God didn't come through for you. And he will actually cause us to put our hope in things that are without our control that may or may not be what God is doing. And when those things fail, we have placed hope in an outcome that could not stabilize our lives. And so the, the writer is writing and he's saying, hey, don't rely on your strength. Don't rely, because this is what some people do. This is what they were doing. We were trusting in Jesus, but now we want to go back to Judaism, which essentially is trusting in ourselves. Yeah. See, when it feels out of control in faith, I'd rather just have faith in me. When this feels out of control, I'm going to buy into the illusion control that I can actually control anything, and, and I'm going to take control of my life again. I'm going to do it my way because God's way didn't work. And I'll put a scripture on it so it kind of still looks like God's way, but ultimately I'm doing this my way. 
And that's what they're doing is now they're, now think about this. They, they were, you could be anchored in the wrong thing and you could be anchored in the wrong outcome and you can then try to anchor to yourself. All of it means that you're going to drift. And, 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 and so we have to be anchored. And I think sometimes we need to understand what's a worthy anchor and what's not a worthy anchor. Let me tell you what I mean. I was, in, I was talking to my counselor. I have a great counselor. I'm very thankful for him. He's this wonderful guy. I've been a counselor like 100 years. And uh, I hate to say that just in case he watches, uh, but like 30-something years. And um, really, really smart guy. And I never forget, we were talking one day, and he said this. He said, Marty, sometimes hope has to die. Well, you can't tell hope's, you can't say hope's supposed to die to a preacher. I'm like, by God, hope never dies. Let me read you some verse. Let me read you Hebrews chapter six. This hope is a trustworthy anchor of our souls. We can't let our anchor die. And here's what he said. He said, he said, he said, the problem is sometimes we don't really understand what hope is because hope is objective. And sometimes we confuse hope with wish. And wish is subjective, meaning it's individualized. It's, it's, it's what you wish and desire to happen. And hope is an affixed, objective thing. It's substantial. And he said, sometimes we don't know how to discern the difference between what to hope in and what we're wishing for. And so what happens is, let, let me use some analogies that, that maybe won't hurt that bad. So uh, remember, I love you and I'm your friend, but we will, we will wish that we could lose 20 pounds. And okay, we'll try some, I'll try something else in a minute. Just let it go. Let the Lord heal you. I'm sorry. I'm going to look over here. Okay. I'm talking to these people. <laughs> But we will wish we could lose 20 pounds. And someone will say, oh, I'm hoping I can get this weight off. And you say, okay, what changed? Did, did you change your diet? Did you get a membership at the gym? You work in not just a membership, but one you use? You know, <laughs> I'm still looking over here. <laughs> Love you too. Praying for you. You pray for me. Anyway, so... But, but what changed? Is there a reason to actually have hope? Or are you expressing a wish? I hope I can get my finances in order. It, that's a great thing to hope for. But is that just a wish? Because did you make a budget? Did you adjust your budget? Did you cut up your credit card? Did you create you a debt snowball like Dave Ramsey talks about? What changed? Is there something substantial outside of your own desire that you can anchor to? Like, I just, I hope this time they're going to get it together. And I hope this time this relationship's going to work. Did anything change? Are they getting counseling? Are they getting the help that they need? Are they listening to brothers and sisters in Christ? Are they in a small group? Like, did anything change that you can anchor to? Or are you just wishing something would change? Right? I just, I wish, I, I just hope that I can get my thinking together. Did, did anything change? Are you getting some prophetic promises? Are you renewing your, your mind with the word of God? Or are you just hoping somehow something different is going to change? That's not hope. That's a wish. It's subjective. It's not objective. And the writer is writing to the Hebrews and he is giving them objective reality. He is giving them something substantial that they can anchor to. He's like, hey, this isn't a wish. This is something you can hope in because he writes in verse 18, so so God has given both his promise and his oath. Oh, come on. This is substantial now. 
This is a thing now. This is tangible now. God gave a promise and an oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can find, can have great, not just confidence, we have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. God has given a promise and an oath. Here's what he's saying. You're not just wishing. There's an anchor here. And the anchor has two prongs if you will. It has a promise and an oath. And neither of these things can change. This is what you anchor to, that God has promised you something. Just like God promised Abraham, and he's talking about Abraham, he's like, this is why Abraham could have hope, because he had the promise of God. He had God saying in blessing, I will bless you. That means the full authority of who I am will bring goodness to you. I will accept you, forgive you, love you, be graceful to you, be faithful to you, deliver you, redeem you, restore you. It is the full capacity and strength and weight of who I am upon your life. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying you, I will, I will increase you. And he said he had a promise from God, but then God went a little bit farther because verse 16, God said, by myself, I have sworn. I want so bad to call this message swear words. <laughs> I did. But here's what he's saying. God not only gave you a promise, but then God stood back and said, you know, not only have I promised but I'll swear on who I am that I'll do it. I mean, the promise would have been enough. But God, this is why he said, so that you can have great confidence. That's what he said. Like I could have had confidence if God promised. But then God swore. And he said, some swear by someone greater. But God looked around and said, I'm the best around. <laughs> he said there's no one bigger and badder and better than me and so God backed up and said I'm going to swear by me if I don't do what I've promised I'll cease being God and you can serve something or someone else I will stake my name on what I promised and the writer of Hebrews says that is so you can have not just confidence you can have great confidence and can I tell you something that's so good? Because according to your Bible, according to your Bible, God has given you exactly what he gave Abraham. Because according to Romans 4, 16, it says the promise comes by faith so that it may be grace and guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Not only those who are of the law, but those who are of the faith, those who have the faith of Abraham. Now, this promise is for all of those who believe it. That he, through Abraham, has given you a promise and an oath. And that is the anchor that you tie yourself to. That's the anchor that you hold on to that God has promised. And God will not fail. Here's the third thing. Write this down. Hope in the future produces power in the present. Hope in the future produces power in the present. The, the writer is addressing people who have lost hope. And not only have they lost hope, now they've lost the fervor. They've lost strength. They've lost the power to maintain their faith, to, to maintain their decision. And so he needs to tell them where hope is. 
He needs to not only tell them what to be anchored to, but where the anchor is. He, he's got to tell them what to tie off to and, and where it is. And so he writes in verse 18, we read it, that the promise is a promise and an oath. They're unchangeable. It's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we fled to him for refuge, can have great confidence. And then he tells them where hope is. As we hold to the hope that lies before us. Somebody say hope ahead. Hope ahead. Hope ahead. Oh, come on. Hope, when you're attaching to the anchor and you're attaching to hope, hope is always ahead. You can't throw your anchor behind you. And you can't drop your anchor where you're at. The problem with the Hebrews is they're considering those two options. I want to throw my anchor back to Judaism. But that's not hope. That's deception. Then they said, maybe we could just throw our anchor in our circumstance. This is why they're unstable now. They thought God was going to make their circumstance different because they had believed. They thought Christ was returning sooner than what has happened. And so they threw their anchor in the midst of their circumstance. In your present, that's your present circumstance. It is circumstantial. It is up for debate and change at any moment. And you cannot control anything other than how you respond to what is about to change. And so you can't throw your anchor back here and you can't drop your anchor here. So he tells them where you anchor off to. He says, you got to throw your anchor forward. You're not going back. You're not staying here. You can't find hope in yesterday. And today is too uncertain. But here's where you can find hope in the promise that is yet to come in the thing that is yet to be fulfilled in what God is presently working on promised and taken an oath by that he would bless you and multiply you and keep and you can't you can't drop an anchor here in the emotion of now and you can't throw your anchor in the thinking of the past you've got to throw your anchor forward because hope in the future creates power in the present See, see, hopelessness results when my past and present informs my perspective. Hope is when my promise informs my perspective. As long as I'm looking at the past and as long as I'm looking at the present and it's informing to me and it's trying to verify or validate that what I believed and anchored to is, is acceptable and steady, I'm going to have trouble. But if I can throw my anchor forward and I can anchor on to the promise of God, the oath of God, what God has sworn by himself that in blessing, he will bless me and multiplying, he will multiply me, then I've got something to hold on to. And when I have that kind of hope, hoping ahead in the now, it produces power. Let me show you in the life of Abraham. Romans 4, 18, it says, against all hope. Oh, I love this verse. It's such a good verse. Against all hope, Abraham in hope. Against all hope, and, and Abraham in hope. Believed. And so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. Since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. He's not putting hope in him. He's not putting hope in her. 
But he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But look at this. Because he didn't waver in believing the promise, he was strengthened in the moment in his faith and gave glory to God and became fully persuaded that God had oh, power. God had the power to do what he promised. Hope in the future produces power in the present. I remember I was sitting across from a, a, a man who's incredible pastor, leader, and, and like a mentor uh, to me in a way. And, and, and we, were, we were sitting there, and, and, and this is several months ago, and I was just processing with him. And it was my story, and we we're just talking. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm human. You're probably human. If you're not human, now's not a good time to tell us if you're from another country or not another country, like a, another galaxy. <laughs> Don't tell us now. Anyways, um, but, but I was sitting there and, and we were talking and I was just going over all the doubts, all the crazy thoughts, all the emotions. And, and I was just telling him, I'm like, I, I just, to me, it feels over to me. Everything feels done with. It just, I don't think, I don't think there's, I, I kind of was saying, I guess I'm just going to have to accept my best days are behind me. And there I was, I was just trying to find an anchor. And, and my presence seems so unstable. Like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. I can't control it. I've just cho- chosen to surrender to it. And in that moment, I thought, maybe my best days are just behind me. And so I couldn't really throw my anchor backwards, though, because it's like, eh, it's, I couldn't really put an anchor in where I was because it seemed all unstable and like everything was changing and moving. I never get it. He looked across the table at me and he said, look me in the eyes, look me in the eyes. And I looked at him in the eyes and he said, listen to me, your best day is ahead of you. And he said, he said, your best sermon you haven't preached yet. Your best book you haven't written yet. Your best moment you haven't experienced yet. Your best day is ahead of you. And, and the reason I wrote this whole message was just because that. And because I want to tell you, I want to tell you what he told me. I, I don't know what your circumstance is. You, you could have you lost your marriage. And that's, that is a hell like I pray on no one. You, you could have lost your business and you could have lost your job or you may have lost a loved one. And it may seem like hope is lost because it is too unsteady and the enemy is attacking your emotions and he is attacking your mind and you're looking just, I need some stability and I'm trying to find some place to put an anchor, something to tie off to. And you're like, you're thinking about your past. It's like there's regret or maybe there's shame. I can't, I can't, I can't really anchor to the past and and this present. I don't even know how this is going to be. I don't know how this is going to work out. I'm up and down and all around and in and out. And I'm just, I just, it's unstable and it's unsteady. And I just want to look at you and say, hope ahead. 
hope ahead. Throw your anchor forward. Hope ahead. Your best day is ahead. If you're still breathing, God's not done with your life. God is writing your story. He has plans and he has a hope for you and he has a future for you. He's got good plans for you. Hope ahead. Hope in the promise. It is sure. God has given a promise and an oath and it is a sure and trustworthy the anchor and it lies ahead hope ahead your best day is ahead I dare you to believe your best days ahead I dare you to believe your best days ahead hope ahead because he can't change and he can't lie and he's given a promise and he's given an oath. And that's the trustworthy anchor of your soul. And it lies not behind, not in the present. Hope lies ahead. Throw your anchor forward. Amen. Hope ahead, somebody. Yeah, give him praise. God, you're good. Why don't you stand? God, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you so much for your word today. God, we thank you for your goodness today. God, we thank you today for hope. God, you told me there will be people watching. There will be people in the room. And you told me they needed hope that they needed something that they could hang on to, that they needed something they could anchor themselves to. God, today, let them see that, that your promise, who you are, God, let them hope ahead. Don't look back, you'll sink. Don't look around you, you'll drown. Look ahead. Hope ahead. God, today I pray just an impartation of hope by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. Will you take a moment? If you watch online, don't turn off. Just do this because you'd be amazed at what God will say. But take a moment. Everybody in the room online, will you take a moment? Just ask God what He is, what He's saying to you. Just ask God. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to say to me? And God, I just pray you'd speak to every, every person. God, that they would hear you, hear your promise, hear your voice, hear your word. And while we're just listening, and you at home, you're listening, you in the room are listening, I just want to pray if there's anyone that needs a relationship with Jesus. You may say, well, I, how do I know if I need a relationship with Jesus? He has a way of this, like, enter this nudge inside of you, like this kind of tug in your soul. He has a way of letting you know that he's talking with you, that he's drawing you. That... And when I'm talking about relationship with Jesus, I'm not talking about if you're religious or if you've ever prayed. or Those are good things. I'm talking about do you have a relationship with Jesus? And right now, if you feel Jesus, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your soul, speaking to you and then that's that's him he said behold i stand at the door and knock he won't force his way in but he'll show up and knock 
And so if that's you, I want to pray with you, whether you're in this room or whether you're watching online today. And so every head bowed. I was looking around. Every head bowed. We're not, we don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm going to ask you to do something. And it's for God. It's not even for me. It's just for God. But if you need a relationship with Jesus today, I want you, even if you're home, I just want you to lift your hand up. Where you're home, just say, God, here I am. It's just a sign of surrender. Say, God, here I am. I want a relationship with you. And if you're in the room, you can lift it up too, but online too, and just lift it up. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. That's awesome. Just lift it up. Say, God, here I am. That's what I want. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you. Amazing. Celebrating with you. If you lifted your hand, whether online or in the room, let me pray with you. It's really just a profession of faith, really just believe and trust. And it would be something like this. You can use your own words. It's, it's more about the heart and the decision, not necessarily the, the vernacular, but you could just say, God, I believe in you. I place my hope and my trust in you. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he died and rose again. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to make me new. God, I choose my decision is to live for you the rest of my life. And God, I pray as they pray their, their version of that prayer, God, they would sense your presence. God, you would speak to them. God, as your, your word says that your spirit would, would talk to their spirit and they would know they have peace with you, that you are with them. God, that you would transform them and help them to live a life on purpose of destiny and power. God, the one you created and called them to. God, for, for, the rest, for the rest of everyone else in the room, for all of us, really, just, God, we want to anchor to the right thing. We want to anchor to the hope that lies ahead. So, God, help us. Help us to stay tied off and anchored to the promise. We trust you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Come on, have you got one more praise? You can give him one more. <laughs> I want to ask our prayer team to come, if you would come, if you're on the prayer team. And if you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. If you're watching online, you can get prayer through My Pathway Prayer to 77977. Uh, but if you're in the room and you want prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Um, and so we want you to come. Everyone else, we say, hey, big God bless you. We love you. There is hope ahead, somebody. Listen, go have an incredible week. We'll see you next weekend. God bless you.